This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, long-term psychological damage from hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria. It's going to affect them. You know, just out of the blue as they're going through their day or trying to do something else. And it's really going to affect how they feel about being safe in the world. Mental distress years after the storm when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like Viewpoints, our sister show covering current affairs. This week on Viewpoints. I approach the internet now as a tool. It is there to help us access information, to connect with people far away. And I came back with that view. And it changed her life. We'll find out how. Then, Churchill, Roosevelt, and the Pearl Harbor Christmas. All that and more this week on Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes, and Stitcher. By just about any measure, this fall's major hurricanes were true megastorms. Hurricane Harvey dumped more than 50 inches of rain on Houston, Texas. Hurricane Irma left entire Caribbean islands uninhabitable before tearing up the Florida Keys. And Hurricane Maria wiped out Puerto Rico's communications and electrical grid, leaving devastation in its wake. Is it possible to live through storms like that without mental distress? Dr. Howard Osofsky is chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at the Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. He's closely followed people impacted by Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans 12 years ago. And he says this year's megastorms have followed much the same pattern. People can obviously have early distress. There is much difficulty related to the destruction of property, of people being displaced, of schools being damaged or interfered with, of the whole system of care being impacted. Family members can be separated from one another. Parents, one or both, may no longer have jobs. They may be living in temporary circumstances with overcrowding, with much more propensity for anger and fighting, so that we will be seeing very early reactions that are very important. Many of those same reactions hold true in other disasters, like the wildfires and earthquakes we've also experienced this fall and winter. Still, many people impacted by natural disasters have a remarkable ability to hold themselves together, at least for a while. During times like a storm or a natural disaster, people rely on their natural resilience and, you know, they can do what needs to be done to get themselves and their families to safety. And they do a pretty good job of that, even the folks that we see there are impaired in one way or another. That's psychiatrist Dr. Thomas Houth, medical director for the Jefferson Parish Human Services Authority, which provides behavioral health and primary care services for thousands of people in the New Orleans area. It's usually after that kind of settles down, when they know they're safe, that they uh, start to experience some of the after effects, some of the, you know, anxiety, some of the depression that goes along with just dealing with something that traumatic for folks. We would find much higher incidence of PTSD. Depression is more common than people realize. Anxiety, some increase in substance use problems in the families. 90% of people 
Celtic bounce back. But some people never do. Osofsky and Houth, as well as a number of studies, suggest that once people wear down psychologically in a disaster's aftermath, a significant percentage suffer anxiety, depression, and other effects for years. One way that they respond is they try not to think about it. That's uh, human nature to try to pretend like something didn't happen or try to block it out of our minds. But then some people are affected a little bit more intensely where they're going to, no matter what they do to try to forget about it or try to get around it, they're going to have that re-experience in those events. It's going to affect them, you know, just out of the blue as they're going through their day or trying to do something else. For people with a more extreme reaction, it's really going to affect how they feel about themselves and how they feel about the world and how they feel about being safe in the world. That's kind of how people react to all kind of different traumas. But I think it's particularly acute for those natural disasters that affect so many people. Health says the severity and duration of effects are highly individual, depending on a number of variables. He says storm after effects share that characteristic with many forms. Of trauma. We know that about 60 to 70 percent of the population is exposed to some trauma, but only about eight or nine percent develop persistent symptoms, what we would call post-traumatic stress disorder. So it really is individualized. And we know from the work that we've done with people that have responded to or survived trauma is that it tends to be cumulative. So if we're dealing with somebody that's, you know, had some early life trauma and dealing with poverty and then dealing with a natural disaster and another thing, the effects of the trauma are going to be kind of cumulative. Whereas other people, you know, might have that effect after the trauma, they had a pretty smooth life or maybe got through those other things okay, might only be affected for, you know, six months to a year after that initial event and it kind of settles down for them. So it really varies depending on somebody's experience. Another factor that can create lasting mental trauma is destruction of a person's home and displacement to another location. This can be that, you know, sense of loss, whether it is items or homes or neighborhoods or connections. I think it's that sense of loss that frankly a lot of people with trauma go through because you lose those kind of things. So yeah, I mean, they're going to be affected with that depression and anxiety for sure. Asofsky recalls that after Hurricane Katrina, some displaced residents were offered completely rebuilt homes. In the immediate aftermath of the storm, enthusiasm was high. But when construction was done about three months later... By the time the house was finished, there were some individuals who either didn't want it or who would live in one room of the house because after all, even though they had a house, all the memories had gone, all their possessions, their pictures, other parts of life that were so important to them were gone. Many of their neighbors were gone, friends were gone. And as we help people adjust to what we call a new normal. Houth says another factor making megastorms so psychologically shattering is the lack of control we have over our situation. We seem helpless in the face of nature's wrath. Lack of control is a feature shared with other events that create severe trauma, such as sexual or physical abuse or the experience of war. I'm sure if you talk to people in Texas as they were watching that storm approach or people in Florida for the last storm or, you know, anybody here in New Orleans that had that huge picture of a hurricane that covered the Gulf of Mexico, that is something we had absolutely no control over. That's similar to other experiences people have of 
their trauma, you know, whatever it is, that, you know, having no control over that situation, I think that's what makes a symptom so intense. Even in normal times, children may feel as if they have little control over their world. But Osofsky says when megastorms hit, and we think of those suffering severe psychological effects, children are often forgotten. For younger children, there's been a tendency to feel they won't remember things or they're too young and yet they do. They see things, they remember things. They're also impacted by the parents' ability to cope. And if the parents are having difficulties, the children will take that in. After Katrina, for example, in our screenings, 30% of parents reported that their young children had had symptoms. For example, they regressed. They started wetting again or being whinier, having more difficulty sleeping. As storms bear down on the coast, both children and adults who've lived through previous hurricanes are unavoidably affected, even if they're now hundreds of miles away. Houth saw it in his patients who survived Katrina. That's going to be the stimulus that's going to bring back those, just to remind them of the way they felt during Katrina. So even though we're this far out, if they have that stimulation, they're going to be brought right back to, you know, how it felt. There's a, an interesting thing with trauma that there's not a real temporal logic to it. So it, even though it's 12 years later, if you're back in that situation or reminded of that situation, you can feel exactly the way you did right back then. And next summer, the calendar watching will begin. Those who've been affected by this fall's hurricanes may face an intensification of their anxiety again, simply because it's hurricane season. And the next year, and the next. One of the things that, you know, us human beings do is we try to avoid things that bother us, like, you know, those storms, but to be represented with those images or to have a storm out in the Gulf, you know, there's no avoiding that. That's going to bring it back for people. So however people were affected by Katrina or Harvey or those other storms, you know, next hurricane season when that rolls around and we're keeping an eye on the Gulf or keeping an eye on the Atlantic, those thoughts and those feelings are going to come back for sure. So they will be affected. Health says it can often take a lot of time before people realize they're in trouble and come in for help. Sometimes it can take a year or more, and in the meantime, they may try all kinds of things to stay afloat. People do all kind of maladaptive things. So unfortunately, you know, people deteriorate and don't do well and have some really bad outcomes. Some people might revert to alcohol or drug use. You know, some people suffer in silence where it comes out as you know, elevated blood pressure, terrible blood sugars, things like that. So, you know, not everybody does. I want to make sure that we that we highlight the uh, resilience that people have and that they can realize that they need help and come in and get help. But there are some folks that don't see that and really struggle and needlessly for a long time, unfortunately. Getting in for treatment is the key step because Houth says once there, a variety of therapies have proven to be effective. If it's to the point where they have symptoms that are going to respond to medications, we have that, which is you know one of the easier ways to treat. But then we also have individual therapy and group therapy that we can offer people to talk about those issues on an individual basis or in a group. And then, as we mentioned earlier, some of those maladaptive behaviors, if we encounter like the substance abuse or the out-of-control uh, medical stuff, we could treat it that way. So there's 
there's lots of treatments available for sure. Talking about what people are feeling is always helpful, and that's one thing about massive storms. When someone goes through one of them, it's likely that their friends and neighbors have gone through it too. What's different about these mega storms is that it's a shared traumatic experience, whereas a lot of times when we're dealing with trauma, it's very individualized, very personalized. But now we have this shared experience. So that makes it a little bit different, almost makes it a little bit easier to get support and to talk about it. The intensity of reactions is incredibly individual. People whose homes have been destroyed around them, those who've barely gotten away with their lives, are understandably more likely to have severe trauma. However, people with a trauma history watching TV hundreds of miles away can be affected as well. Emergency responders are getting much better at anticipating psychological as well as physical distress and linking up those who need help with mental health professionals. Experts say the pace of natural disasters is likely to increase, so we need to be ready. I'm Reed Pence. Medical notes this week. A number of studies have found that people who drink diet soda end up gaining more weight than people who drink higher calorie beverages. Now a study in the journal Current Biology explains why. Researchers say that a food's sweet taste is just as important as its calorie count as far as your metabolism is concerned. In most foods, sweetness indicates high energy, but in artificially sweetened foods, there's a mismatch so the brain is confused. Diet foods trigger the metabolism to run as if the food contains many more calories. Pregnant women who contract a fever in their first trimester have a risk of delivering a child with heart defects or facial deformities. Researchers have known of a connection for years, but didn't know if fever itself was the cause or the virus or infection that caused it. Now a study in the journal Science Signaling concludes it's the fever. Doctors say acetaminophen is safe for pregnant women so they shouldn't hesitate to consider taking it to reduce fever. And finally, science has come up with the answer as to whether cats or dogs are smarter. And the answer won't please cat owners. A study in the journal Frontiers in Neuroanatomy finds that dogs have significantly more neurons in their brains, the little gray cells, associated with thinking, planning, and complex behaviors. Dogs have about 530 million cortical neurons, researchers say, while cats have about 250 million. That compares with about 16 billion in people. And that's Medical Notes this week. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.